0: Hey, friends, if you are a parent listening to this episode, I just want to give you a heads up that there are some adult themes in today's chapter. And so you might want to listen to this episode by yourself first before listening with your kids.
1: Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter.
0: Thanks for joining. Today we have another guest, Ben is back, Ben Krejci. Ben is back,
1: Ben Krejci. Ben,
0: <laughs> ben Krejci, how do you spell your last name?
1: K-R-E-J-C-I, you can't look at it and say it at the same time, it's just too hard.
0: It's too hard, Yeah. Krejci. Krejci. We're talking 1 Corinthians 5. W- what an easy one, right? No, this, <laughs> this chapter, there's some great stuff in it and there's some hard stuff in it, so Uh, I think it's important before we dive in, Ben, if it's cool, I'm going to just give us an overview of church membership. I would love that. Okay. So in this chapter, we see church discipline being encouraged. But before we talk about church discipline, we've got to have a clear understanding of church membership. And church membership can be confusing because we never read that phrase in Scripture anywhere, church membership. It's always just implied or assumed that it's present. And that can be a little bit confusing if we've never taken the time to to investigate it. So one of the first examples we see of church membership is in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9, where we read, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And that phrase, let a widow be enrolled, begs the question, enrolled into what? And it's implying a formalized system of of a local church caring for their members. There's some organization present. And then in 1 John 2, 19, we read, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And we get this, this idea presented. If there are people who are in and people who are out. Now, this verse is actually most commonly used in, in the conversation around salvation. And it'd be to say, hey, if, if somebody leaves on their own volition, um, they they probably went out because they, and when I say leaves, I mean, leaves declares that they are leaving the faith. Um, they probably went out on their own volition because they never were saved to begin with. That's the picture that's presented. Um, but it also presents a a picture that there is a group that is in, they are the church, and a group that is out. It's a clear distinction, but it's but it's implied. We don't see the phrase, someone leaves the church. It's just they were of us, and then they went out, and it became clear that they weren't of us. But in a more positive light, in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, we read, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And in that verse, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, or those verses, we get... An example of the one another's of Scripture, the way that the body of Christ can come around each other and spur each other on, encourage each other, help each other walk in faithfulness, hold each other accountable— That's community, not neglecting to meet together. That's, for us, Sunday mornings. The regular gathering of the church body is important. Uh, But again, we're not seeing the words church membership used. It's just implied that there's a formal system. The widow's enrolled. There's those who are of us and those who are not. We're meeting together regularly, uh, spurring each other on. And then, lastly, we see church membership implied through scriptures that Speak to church discipline, which is
1: absolutely
0: what we see in this in today's chapter, First Corinthians five. So the first two verses, um, Ben, you want to read them for us?
1: Absolutely. It says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and it's of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Dang. And you are arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? And uh, I love the context that you you added with church membership, Emma, because when we read First Corinthians, it's a lot a lot of times really hard because we're literally reading someone else's mail. Yeah, and that you know I love what you said in the bonus episode too of we're coming into it on you know we call it First Corinthians, but this is likely the second letter, and we even get a hint of that in verse nine in chapter five. Um, but we're stepping into a context that we don't know a lot about, but they do. Because
0: when you keep reading and it says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. And it's like, yeah, his sin is grievous. I mean, that is, he's with a man has, I mean, that's his mom, right? A man has his father's wife. Like that is...
1: Yeah, it's either mom or stepmom.
0: And that's vile and inappropriate. Uh, But in accordance with Matthew 18, the, the first step wouldn't be kick the guy out of the whole church. And so you're right. We've got to remember that there's, there are or were other letters, at least one that we for sure know of.
1: And what I find interesting here is that you know we kind of learn two things from the way that Paul handles this: is that not only do the the Corinthians know the context, they know the man, because mm-hmm. Paul doesn't even mention the name. Yeah. But also it shows that he's focusing a lot more on how the church is handling this rather than even the man's sin. And yeah, it kind of shows even a contrast of. You know, the Corinthians' attitude about the situation was almost worse than the sin itself. And rather than mourning over it and disciplining the offender, they, they took pride in it. And, you know, what we read in verse 6 of them of boasting about it. And so we see Paul makes that hard judgment and purge the evil person among you. And so right about now, we asked the question, well, didn't Paul say in one chapter earlier that we should not judge? And you and Will talked about that a little bit yesterday of kind of the difficulty of reconciling these two chapters. But like y'all talked about in chapter 4, verse 5, that kind of judgment had to do with the degree of faithfulness. And that's what Paul is saying that, hey, we shouldn't be judging that. But what we are judging here and what he's calling the church to you know, be accountable for is dealing with the sin. Dealing with the immorality and that's right. what you talked about with not only church discipline but the the weight of church membership, that's what Paul is
0: calling them. Yeah, towards. and that's why it can be confused. Like church membership is so important because m- I bet everybody listening, uh, but I, I I think I can speak for you on this. We've heard we've heard people say, "Hey, Christians are hypocritical. Like it's confusing when Christians claim to be followers of Jesus, but their lives look exactly like." Mine, if a lost person speaking. And the reason why church membership and therefore church discipline is so important is because it helps if if every church was walking in a way that said, Hey, church discipline and church membership is of high value, um you would have a more clear distinction of who the the legitimate Christ followers are um, because they people who claim Christ would be better held accountable for their actions.
1: Absolutely and that's exactly what what Paul calls the believer to at the end of this chapter is that hey if you are you know if you bear the name brother that you are held to a higher standard. And we yeah. we see that back in you know evidence of this in in Romans 6 and even later on stay tuned when we get to 2 Corinthians of the the forgiveness and the repentance that we are called to in that and you know just like you said a a lot of the times we talk about church discipline and we we forget about the grace piece. Yeah. And we forget about this idea that even within discipline, there has to be grace.
0: And I think we can look at verse 5 in this chapter and be like, Ben, that sounds great, but that doesn't—I don't see a lot of grace when I read verse 5. Mm. You want to read it for us?
1: Absolutely. It says in verse 5, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord.
0: Which feels so harsh and heavy. It does. Hand this man over to Satan. Now, this verse is what in the Institute we'd call a what then? An interpretive challenge. So something that that commentators and theologians look at, and they've got a lot of different opinions. Uh, but but here's how we can just kind of contextualize this or, or make sense of it. So. One commentator said, Paul had determined to deliver the man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. This probably meant that he had delivered the man over to the world. So that'd be reaching the the final step in church discipline where we say, hey, I'm going to, going to treat this this friend as if they're a non-believer because they're refusing to repent uh, and, and not not view them in, in my mind, in my context, as if they are a, a Christ follower. And I'm going to do so— um, Paul, or this commentator said, Paul would have done so for bodily chastisement that might even result in his premature death, which is heavy. But this isn't the only time we see this in scripture. This commentator reminded us that this was the result of Peter's dealings with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Although the text does not say in that instance specifically that he delivered them to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. But we did see that that they died as a consequence for their sin within, within the context of the local church. And the commentator goes on to say, God was bringing premature death on other Corinthians for their improper conduct during the Lord's Supper. We see that in chapter 11, verse 30, which is a great reference point. Whenever we're, we're having trouble understanding something, we always want to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And we don't have any record that this man in chapter 5 died prematurely, though he might have. Premature death might be his judgment, the worst case scenario, if he did not repent. And that idea can be scary, like, because we say all the time, God's not trying to kill people and send them to hell. Um, But it could be that this man is a believer and is continuing in sin. And it, it might be that it's most loving for God to bring him home than to allow him to continue to walk in these grievous sins here on this earth. But again, we have to remember, we're not God. We're not the judge. And so when this gets really muddy and causes us to question or wonder, we just remind ourselves, hey, God's heart is that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. But his heart for believers on this earth is that we'd walk rightly with him and experience the abundant life that Jesus offers us.
1: Absolutely. And I love what you end with, Emma, for 1 Corinthians of uh, the idea of whenever we see correction that there is grace that makes a way for redemption. And I feel like when we say it over and over, sometimes we can miss the truth there. Um, But when we look at this passage, it's a beautiful way to look at it because we see God's hand even through
0: the correction. That is so good, Ben. I am so grateful just for your insights and the time you spent preparing for this episode. And you're right. Whenever we see correction, God's grace always makes a way for redemption.